0: just give you just a quick thought here about leading your kids uh in the scriptures and that is i have found with my kids as they've gotten older my oldest is is nine and then a, a daughter uh, after marshall there and in and so they need something a little bit more than just the Jesus Storybook Bible. They've got those stories memorized by now. And so I try to find interesting stories in the Bible. Kids love stories. You do not want to bore your children with the Bible. Don't sit there and read through Leviticus, if you, if you know what that is. Uh, it also gets a little dicey in there uh, in some places, if you know what I'm talking about. And so there's some things that you may not want to broach uh, at times, such as prostitution and you know it talks about Israel whoring after? I guess I just said that in front of children, if they're in here. But um, you know th- those types of things. Like, well, what is that? I, I, you know, but so I find stories that are appropriate. I, I read ahead and I go, okay, I'm going to have to change this word from prostitute to a lady of the night. Uh, or something. <laughs> what is that? Well, she just enjoys the evening. Uh, <laughs> a little too much, but uh, you know uh, that that kind of a thing. And so I read ahead and I and I uh, read these stories and one. one one of the best stories that I've read to my kids so far, and, and listen, I, I'm not very good at this. We have multiple nights that go by that we don't read to them because, um, I don't know if you know, we live in a trailer. It's crazy. My children are just have demons in them, and uh, I, I wish we were the kind of church where we're casting them out, but uh, we haven't, haven't quite learned that yet, but uh, I am off topic. Okay, Esther, I've, read, I've read my children uh, the book of Esther, and what I do is I I'll read through a a section, and I try to leave a cliffhanger at the end of this section, like, what's going to happen? Is he going to die? Isn't he? I don't know. And the kids are screaming, keep reading, keep reading, keep reading. And sometimes I'll give in, like, "Ah, guys, we have to go to bed. We have to keep reading, keep reading. Okay, I'll keep reading the Bible to you. All right, fine. And so by the end of that, I mean, like, they're they're just like, I I try to know where this is going to go, and so I stop Short of that, at least at the end of uh, each section of that story, and the kids just eat it up. And not every story is like that. Some, some of the time, I you know we're threatening our children with possible death um, if they do not listen. And so, um, either way, even if they aren't listening, we read the Bible to them, whether they, li- they like it or not. Like I'm going to do to you right now. And so, um, and so, what am I doing? Okay, I've got I got a lot of notes today, and. Uh, We'll see how this goes, all right? We're in chapter 10, and what I'm going to do is I'm I'm going to read all of, uh, through through verse 22 first. I'm just going to prepare you, and I'm going to read all, all the way through that. You're probably going to be confused, and then I'm, I'm going to try to break it down, and then I'm, I, you know, we'll see where it goes from there, because I never really follow my notes, and so... Um, We'll go from there. I'm going to start reading chapter 10, verse 1, and then we'll come back. I'll tell you what it's all about, and here we go. Chapter 10, verse 1. For I want you to know, brothers... Just stop right there. I have to stop. I know I said I wasn't going to, but the for there, the word for there, he's continuing the thought that he just had, which was... Uh, In verse 24 of chapter 9, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. He says at the end of that, he says, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. So what he's saying is he's saying, you've got to run in such a way that you're going to win the prize, and I don't want you to be disqualified. We said last week that what this is talking about is saying that people who are Christians need to be people who want to share the gospel with people, and the way that you live your life actually matters in that. We've been talking a lot about politics. I've ticked many of you off. That was my intention. I'm glad you're upset, because we want to really get into these issues. We want to talk about them. And so Paul is in this area. He's saying, I want you to be able to share the gospel, but you guys are doing things that are are at times keeping you from being able to share the gospel. And he says, "And, and, and really, I don't want you to be disqualified. I don't want your faith your life to be forfeited your belief in God to be forfeited which let's just be honest right now that in the public square Christian people uh, your life your faith is often disqualified really before you even talk to someone about it because of you know whatever the perception that there is out there of Christianity but really sometimes it's just the way that we live our lives we just stink We just, I mean, our lives just sometimes are just not very good, and so we have disqualified ourselves. So, Paul is going more into this, more into this moral aspect. And so he says this For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank. From the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. That word overthrown means this, bodies scattered everywhere. Okay, The word overthrown means they were scattered throughout the wilderness. They died in the wilderness. They were overthrown. That meant that God had judged them. Verse 6. Now, these things happened to them as an example. You see that that's happened twice now, verse 6 and verse 11? Two times he's mentioned example. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? Lots there. And i, I got to be honest with you. As I read it, I was like, God, Lord, this is going to be a difficult sermon because there's so much here. And so if you're reading the Bible sometimes, you're like, I don't know what they just said. Like, this, this sounds like craziness. You're not alone. Your pastor feels that way too sometimes. And so uh, what Paul is doing here, Paul's been talking to the people in Corinth, to a church. And what's happening is that there are some people who have just come to faith. They've come out of idolatry, and they are really tempted to get back into idolatry. And then he's also talking, and and they're called the weak. He's also talking to the strong. They've been Christians for a while, and they feel like they can engage fully in whatever because really uh, these gods are not real gods at all. And so the Apostle Paul has been speaking to them primarily, and he's been saying to these strong Christians, he's been saying, listen, like, you don't understand how you're affecting other people. You have the freedom to do that because those aren't real gods, but here's the problem is that what you're doing is keeping you from being able to share the gospel, and so really, you're kind of a bad Christian because you don't really care about sharing the gospel. Like, that's a big problem. Like, if you don't care about sharing the gospel, then you may have an issue. That goes for us as well. And so what Paul is saying to them, he's saying, listen, you need to understand how your life should be lived. And so what he does is he does a couple of things. And I've kind of diagrammed this for myself in order to make it simple. The first thing he does is he gives a historical illustration. He says, you could be disqualified. Now, I want to give you this historical illustration from the people of God from years and years and years ago, God's ancient people. And so verses 1 through 5 are a historical illustration. And so what he says there is he says, "I, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for, uh, and then it talks about the rock and, and, and things of that nature. What he's saying there is he's saying, I want you to be aware. I want you to see. Christians, listen up. Listen, I want you to see that there were these people that had these experiences with God. Like, they were walking along, and God was with them in a cloud. Like, God's people would go over here, the cloud would go over here, or really, they were following the cloud, the cloud was leading them, it was with them. God's presence, like, what would happen if you were walking around and you had a cloud over your head? You'd be like, dude, that is pretty stinking cool. Like, I'm experiencing the presence of God in this cloud, it's amazing. But more than that, it was like, it wasn't just a cloud, but then God parts the sea, they walk through the sea. There, there's a wall of water on this side. There's a wall of water on that side. There is dry ground in front of them. God just saves them from the Egyptians, who are chasing them. They get to the other side. The Egyptians are like, "Well, let's just keep following them." They follow them. God goes, "Oh snap!" and you know, drops the water on them. They all die. And what happens? They're overthrown in the wilderness. I mean, what what, what continues to happen? We're hungry. God says, All right, how about this? I'm going to drop some manna. What is manna? Nobody knows. It's called, What is it? That's what, that's, that's what the word manna means. What is it? Right? God just, God just like sends glory food onto the ground. Like I mentioned, like the glory. It just falls down and they eat it. Right? And then they're like, oh, We're thirsty. And there, there's this rock and Moses hits it and water comes out of the rock. Think about this. These are incredible spiritual real, tangible experiences. These are people that experience God firsthand. Like they're, they're like with him. He's with them. He's doing supernatural things in their presence, and yet they're overthrown. And yet they're overthrown. Why is he saying that? Why is he saying that? Why is he telling these Corinthian believers, these so-called strong people, this. I'm not going to tell you yet. A little bit of suspense. Remember, I do this with my kids. I'll do it with you too. <laughs> and you'll have to wait till next week. All right. <laughs> have I piqued your interest? We have no time. I'm not going to get through this, okay? But we're going we're to get part way, and then I'm going to have to stop. So there really is going to be some uh, suspense here. So the second thing he does... So he starts with these historical illustrations, and he says, here are people of God. If anybody's experienced God, it's them. So then he says, here are specific examples from their life that I want you to avoid. So he says in uh, verse 6, he, he tells us this. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire as evil, evil as they did. So he's looking at their lives, the people in Corinth, and he's saying, You need to understand something, that there is a propensity from those people uh, to enter into sin and to enter into evil that you also have. And he says, this is what I want you to avoid. He says in verse 7, no idolatry. Do not engage in idolatry. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat eat and drink and rose up to play. The word play there, like if you look it up in the Hebrew... It actually means, like, to fondle. I don't know what was going on after that meal, but it was, it was a little weird. Uh, they, they had a real personal greeting right after a meal, right? So they rose up to play. What, what's, what's he describing? He's describing an idol festival. He's describing this idol festival, like they just made an idol. The, the people of Israel made this idol, and then they, they eat, they drink, and they raise up, and they Do whatever they do, which seems clear in the next thing, which is verse eight: no sexual immorality. First of all, no idolatry. Second of all, no sexual immorality. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some some of them did, and twenty three thousand fell in a single day. God is really serious about not engaging in sexual immorality, because He killed twenty three thousand people that day. That seems harsh. Next one, do not test the patience of God. Verse nine. We must not put Christ to the test, of some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. So they continue to keep. They, they continue to do this. They continue to sin. They continue to sin. They keep grumbling. They keep complaining. They keep doing this. They put God to the test. They're testing His patience. God is a patient God. But eventually, he responds. He withstands our sin. He withstands our sin. He withstands our sin. And then eventually, he will act. It's continually sinning over and over again, thinking that God will never respond. He will, and he did respond by sending snakes. That's crazy, right? <laughs> the guy like, here's a snake. You're going to die. The fourth thing, he says, don't grumble or complain against God. He, uh, verse 10, uh, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. What does Paul want us to know? What does Paul want us to know? He wants you to look at the stories in the Old Testament, and he wants you to see it, and he wants you to know something. He wants the church in Corinth, but that, that, this is not just written to the church in Corinth. It's written to us. God is dead serious. I will strike you down is is, is essentially what he's saying. God is dead serious about what he wants in our lives. Some of us might say, you know, I don't like this God that holds me accountable. I don't like this God that... Threat, not, more than threatens his people, but he carries out his punishments. I, 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 I don't like that kind of a God, and in fact, sometimes we want to say, if there is a God, he'd only exist if, if, if I liked everything that he did. If, if there is a God, then he would only exist if he liked everything that he did. And I, I, just, I just want you to think about that for a second and, and realize that what you're saying is this, is that like if there really is a God, then he must submit to my idea of what a God is. So then who really is God in this scenario? If God submits to your desires, your likes, and the things that you want, who really is God in that scenario? scenario? You are above God at that point. And I want to suggest something to you that... Uh, if there really is a God, he does not submit to you. And I, in fact, believe that there is a God, and he does not submit to you, and he does not submit to me. But he has his own rules, his own regulations, and he expects them to be carried out. And so this type of stuff just isn't popular today, which is why we teach it. So number three, uh, we, we get to instructions based on these examples. Okay? So number three is we, 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 we're attacking so, some instructions from these examples, And so what does he say? He says, Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of uh, uh, the ages has come. So he, he's basically saying th- those things happened as an example. We're supposed to take instructions from them. And, and, and really, uh, we are the people of God. Jesus has come. The end of the age has been inaugurated with Jesus coming. That's what that means there. And so he says... Uh, four different things there which I want to skip and I'm going to come back to in just a second, okay? We're going to go on to number four. This is what he says. He says in, in verse 15, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. And so he says, I have three examples for you of why you should not engage in idolatry. I have three examples for you why you should not engage in what these people engaged with. Now think about that for a second. There was real idolatry that was happening in, in Old Testament periods, uh, there is, which is you a know, long time ago. Then there's uh, the Corinthian period, which there's real idolatry happening there, and we can transfer that to us today. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying there's transfer here all the way from Old Testament Israel to today, and he's saying, I want to give you three examples of why you should not engage with idolatry. And so he says... Uh, there's Christianity, there's Judaism, which is Old Testament Christianity, essentially, and then paganism. And so he says, first of all, Christianity. He says in verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, it is, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Okay? So his, his thing is that it's participation, When we we take the cup at communion, it is participation. There's some indication that it's talking about the cup of blessing, the third cup that's uh, drank in the Passover. But for us, it's communion. When we're talking about this, we're participating, spiritually speaking, in the death of Jesus and in his blood. And so he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Look at that word participation. It's repeated over and over again here. Is it, these are things that you need to look at when you're studying your Bible. He says, the bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Remember, think about that. Participation in the blood. Partici- per- participation in the, in the body. Verse 17, because there was one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake. Again, participation of the one bread. So basically he's saying this. He's saying, Christianity... Uh, means this, participation with the uh, blood of the deity, body of the deity, and followers of the deity. So he says, this is one example, our own religion. Secondly, Judaism. He says, verse 18, consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices uh, participants in the altar? And so, what he's saying there is he's saying, remember Old Testament Judaism, what's happening there is that there would be a sacrifice on the altar, and then the priest and his family could eat that sacrifice, and it is said to be participation in what's happening there. You're participating again in this deity and what he's doing. The third example that he gives is paganism. He says, What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything. No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participation uh, participants with demons. So what he's saying there is this: he's saying, listen, in Christianity. When you're going through these rituals and things like that, you're drinking from the cup, you're eating the bread, and you're sharing that with the body through one loaf that they had, Um, what's happening there is you're participating, you're participating. In Judaism, you're participating, you're participating. Now, in paganism, you are participating in what's going on there. Listen, listen. You're participating in this, in idolatry. And then he's going to clarify this, and he says that it's not just that these are not real gods. They're not real gods, but you know what they are? They're demons. They're demons. What he just said there is he's saying all other religions have behind them demonic influence. Let me make it clear. All roads do not lead to God. It does matter what you believe. Demons work towards stealing worship from the true and the living God. It is demonic. Idolatry is demonic. Idolatry is worshiping and serving anything other than the true and the living God, including created things. And so he says in conclusion, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? It says in the Old Testament that the Lord is a jealous God. And Paul is is evoking this, and he's saying you are causing jealousy. God to become jealous, and he responds in jealousy through the way that he disciplines his kids, okay? So here's where we're at. We have to ask the question, how does this apply to us? Am I an idolater? Do do I regularly involve myself in idolatry? Well, Romans chapter 1 says this. It says that all of humanity, I have to summarize it for you rather than reading it, it says that all of humanity knows that there is a true and living God in their heart of hearts. Every single one of us on some level knows that there is a God. And at the, the most basic level, every single one of us works to thwart that God and worship and serve the created thing rather than the creator. So let, let me just help you understand something. Every single one of us is an idolater, especially before we meet Christ. Every single one of us is regularly looking for things to worship. Let's go back to politics for a second. Let me hear it like a groan real quick. So, so whatever your political persuasion is, let's say that you look at the other side if you're liberal, you're looking at conservatives. If you're conservative, you're looking at liberals, and you're, and you're pointing at them oftentimes. Uh, if, if you don't do this on Facebook um, or uh, what, in some type of a rally, you do this in your mind, and you look at their, their policies, and you look at the things that they're after, and you say, how could they do this because X, Y, and Z? Oftentimes, what you're looking at is actually idolatry of that party. Let me give you an example. The liberal critique of conservatism is that it's all about money. All you care is about trickle-down economics. All you care is about big business getting uh, what they need, and you think that jobs are going to come from that, but it's really just greed. And that's all that you want. You, The rich get richer. The poor get poorer. They can't pull themselves up. You don't care about uh, carrying your, your fair share. I hope I've represented that a- accurately. What, what the liberal perspective is saying about conservatives is it's saying, listen, you you have an idol in your party, and the idol is money. The idol is money. And And you don't care about anybody else because all you want to serve is that God of money. So... All wrongdoing, when we can look at those things and we say, we see the greed, we see the developer that doesn't care about the people that he's squashing and just setting aside. You're seeing something that God sees and you're seeing idolatry. But you know what's so funny about this is that we can point out the idolatry, we can point out the sins of other people, but we very infrequently can we point out our own sins, right? Because the conservative critique of liberalism often goes something along the lines of has to do with sexuality. has to do with the transgender debate. Should we let men who believe that they're women come and use the women's restroom with my little girl? Should we allow relationships that don't lead to uh, children to exist? Should, should the state support that? It has a lot to do with sexuality. It has to do with this idea of grace oftentimes. Let's have grace on these people. It comes from a good motivation, like I want to be gracious to these people. Very very honoring of people in many respects. They want to be gracious to them, but the conservative critique of that says, listen, the, the things that you're doing, you have made ultimate in our world, and now you're making a rule for everyone that now everyone is supposed to believe in. But really, what that is, is you have made sexuality the God. You see what's happening? The things that we see in life, you can actually trace back to, this is idolatry in their life. It's what Romans 1 says is true, that all of us are looking to worship and serve the created thing that's money, sex, power, politics, whatever it is, we're looking to worship and serve those things instead of the true and living God as a result. And I'm not the only one that believes this. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, David Foster Wallace who is a uh, he's an award-winning American novelist, according to uh, Wikipedia. But it was uh, shortly before he actually committed suicide. He said this, I believe it was at the commencement speech of Kenyon College in 2005. I've read this before, but I think it's, it's profound. It's so incredible. He says this. He says, everybody worships. Everybody worships. I know we're talking about worship right here, but we're talking about idol worship. Conservatives, you worship the... The God of money. Liberals, generally speaking, worship the God of sex. He says everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are what you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel like you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power. You will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is they're unconscious. They are default settings. Stop right there for a second. Romans 1 says that. Romans 1 says that. It says that. Every single one of us is always worshiping. You are a worshiper. You're always worshiping. You and I, we're always looking for something to worship. Here at Outward Church, the thing that we're saying to you, some of you ask the question, like, why do you always preach the gospel? Because it feels like maybe you're always teaching to people that don't know Jesus. No, we're talking to people that know Jesus. We're talking to people that know Jesus, that continually, like God's people Israel, keep going back to idolatry, keep going back to idolatry, keep going back to idolatry. Jesus saves you, yes, past, present, and future, but Jesus is also saving you. It doesn't mean that you lose your salvation when you, you, you have this idol in your life or something. What it means is this, is that Jesus doesn't want to save you just from your past sin. He's saving you right now. He's saving you from your present sin of always entering into idolatry. Always thinking, am I pretty enough? Do I have enough money? Is my political scheme working? Are the people that I want to win, are they winning? Are the people that I want out, are they out? Paul just called all of us idolaters. Let me get across something to you. Paul is saying to Christian people in a church... He's saying this, you are on the verge of becoming and being, if you aren't already full on idolaters. You may not be people, you may not be people that are actually worshiping in an idol temple, but you have your own temple. You have your own temple temple might be your computer screen as you engage in pornography worshiping and serving the temple might be the gym as you worship your body the temple might be your politics your temple might be your checkbook the stock market your temple might be listen every single one of us has a temple that we worship in the question is this has Jesus saved you from that or are you still engaging in that? I have to stop there. I need you to come back next week. Jesus went to the cross to change our lives, guys. I'm talking to Christian people right now. Jesus went to the cross to keep you from being a political nutcase, an extremist, because extremism is idolatry of the worst kind. Jesus went to the cross to save you from destroying yourself from money, sex, and power. And the the question today is, do you wanna receive that Or do you want to still engage in your idolatry? Because God takes it seriously. God takes it incredibly seriously. He judged his people in this way, and Paul wants to get across to you. It is possible for you to be judged as well. I don't think God is in the business of sending snakes and the destroyer and whatever. But God's patience runs thin as we test him and test him and test him. God's patience runs thin, and we do not want to be there. And ultimately, what this means is this, is that you and I have a witness in our culture. You and I have a witness to the people that are around us. And what you say and how you act and what your idols are reflects on your God, and the reason why our world can critique Christianity from the sidelines is because they've seen plenty of us, all of us, enter into idolatry on a regular basis, and Paul says, I don't want to see that happen. Let's go to the Lord's table this morning and just ask him, Lord, would you point out my idolatries would you point out what I have in my life that needs to be addressed? And I want you to come back next week because I want to give, give you some tools. It's, it's not enough just to say don't. It's like God has some really great, some really great things to tell us how to get out of our idolatry. It's very simple, but I gotta save it for next week. Let's do it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing in our church. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives with a complicated passage. And God, we ask that you would allow us to be people that are fully engaged and engulfed in what you've done for us. Lord, I pray uh, for our folks here that, Lord, that you would allow them to be people who are humble and who are saying, man, I I need to identify my area of idolatry. I need to identify what it is that I have going on in my life. I need to identify these things. And then, God, I need your help. So, God, we, we know that you provide that. We know that that's who you are. And so we're looking forward to hearing your word on this. We're looking forward to understanding what you have for us. Lord Jesus, would you do that? Would you do that in our lives? Would you allow us to become people that are, that are following you in this way? And it's in your name that we pray, amen.